have to look that up. Season 1, Episode 8. Greetings, everyone. Thank you for listening. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. I got some great call-ins over the past week from from Che, from Jason, uh, also from Daniel, and I'll get to them a little bit later in the episode. Things have been uh, busy, as I'm sure for many of you out there, both work and uh, and home life, uh, getting things ready. I'm sure it will come up. Uh, if I'm able to put out future episodes. But uh, in the next few months, we're uh, in the process right now uh, so that in the next few months, uh, we'll be making a big move that we have been planning for uh, over the course of a few years. It's been offset a bit by the pandemic. Uh, So we will uh, leave our somewhat temporary home in suburban Atlanta and uh, be moving across <laughs> halfway across the world and, and halfway uh, down south of the equator uh, to Australia. Uh, so I would uh, definitely be interested in, in hopefully keeping this going until we uh, get settled down there and hopefully can report from a bit of the gaming scene as uh, they have definitely in Australia been a little bit more fortunate with the controls they had in place last year for the pandemic and really, really minimize the number of cases so that uh, things have been fairly open, I would say, I guess, in, in, you know, in terms of comparing it to other places around the world. Uh, in a way, similar to Singapore, uh, did not need to wear masks everywhere in Australia, uh, but they've had so few cases and they've been very tightly controlling you know, f- who can physically enter and, and exit the, the country that once we were there in November and through our quarantine period, you were relatively free to do as you please. Still uh, plenty of uh, rules and guidelines about distancing and numbers in stores and small groups. But I guess since most of us are, are getting used to what is you know either a new normal or a new state of affairs, just being able to move a little bit more freely, uh, see your friends and, and, and go out in some small groups uh, felt a little bit like a relief. So uh, we'll let you know how things go once we're over there. Uh, they've got some pretty pretty good gaming groups. And actually, when I was there last year, again, with, with the, uh, the pandemic, as I said, even though the cases were, were smaller, I had just done some scoping when we were looking around the area where we're going to live. Uh, quite a few game stores, uh, quite a few active uh, role-playing groups, obviously D&D being the largest, but there is a, uh, a chapter of uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics fans that I was able to connect with online. Uh, we didn't get a game in then, but hopefully when we get back and uh, hopefully some in-person, especially for my son. But anyway, uh, enough rambling on that. I thought I would just talk a little bit more about, I guess, just some initial thoughts, and and then with the initial thoughts, maybe even a call for comments or or, or your thoughts on newer games. And when I say newer games, I'll specify newer to me <laughs> in in coming back. But perhaps as many folks have either in coming back to the hobby. Or even if they've been playing the, the hobby, if you've been playing and, and mainly have been playing, you know, older editions of Dungeons and Dragons or clones or, or OSR type games. When I came back into the hobby a few years ago, and I have mentioned this briefly on earlier episodes, just surprised and uh, really gratified to see the growth, not just of, of other RPGs, but of different RPGs. And so I want to touch on some categories, and this is not an attempt to either summarize, definitely not an attempt to claim expert, because for many of these, I have read, and maybe as far as my exposure, listen to some actual play, but have not been able to get into uh, any games. 
And so one of the things on my list is actually to do that. Again, you know, during the, the pandemic, it has not uh, been easy, but there are plenty of online opportunities. Um, but I think mainly for me, I, I've been interested, but not, I guess, as motivated as I had been for uh, getting you know, into DCC or even trying out some of the Pathfinder second edition. Um, and I, it, it may be just that it's still a bit, as I said, new or foreign, uh, just in, in terms of something I'm not used to. And one of the things that is both encouraging but a little intimidating is just to see the wealth of material around these games, the fan bases, and, and the, the, you know, both the content creators and the players. And so I'll, I'll briefly mention them, and then I'll, I'll take just a step back and, and kind of bridge the gap between some of the thoughts of the older games and the newer. But some of the categories that I've seen, and, and by no means, this is no means exclusive, but, but one set that I had to get myself caught up on are these games that are powered by the apocalypse. And again, many of you are probably familiar with this. You know, coming into this, one, I heard about the, just the term that a game was powered by the apocalypse before I even knew what the heck they were talking about. And then somewhat learned that it was talking about the apocalypse world system that has been around since, I guess, the start of the, the tens, the 2010s, or maybe in 2010, just to get my head around what that was. And, you know, what, what the system was, what it let you do, and then the way that it came up in just reading and listening to podcast, as I said, wasn't necessarily about Apocalypse World itself, which in doing some reading is, is, is definitely an interesting, an interesting concept, genre, uh, an idea, but just around these different settings. And the, the things that I guess stood out to me and, you know, trying to wrap my head around are at uh, one one glance, it, it seems very easy, or at least easy to learn, easy to play, that it, it's built to have lighter rules. And I think, as I've mentioned before, you know, when I later took a look at Dungeon World, meant to, to let you get to the table, you know, play to find out what happens, you know, as the tagline goes, in that the, the players are set up with playbooks, uh, that consist of these moves. So rather than kind of lists of stats, skills, and actually there are, in, in some, there are some stats. I'm, I'm, <laughs> as I said, I'm getting ahead of myself. But rather than having maybe, you know, extensive either skill list formulas, the playbooks kind of describe the different moves that are crucial to the game. So it, in some ways, it, it it's lighter in a way but has these moves to to let, I guess, characters either react when they're triggered or, or when they're deciding to do something to go a little bit faster. You know, so in, in some sense, it, you know, it seems scripted out that way. So you could say you've got, you know, constraints by what you, at least in terms of the moves, what you can do. And obviously, you know, there are other things you could, you could decide to do and, and can be adjudicated at the game. But... One, if you're either new to the to the to the system or new to role playing games in general, I suppose that'd be a very attractive concept. And two, even if you are experienced, but you are really more looking for kind of the genre, the story, different elements of the world, the rules seem to get out of the way a little bit more. Um, the dice are fairly simple in in many. I don't know if this is for all of them, but it seems like it's a two d six and it's a very uh, straight line scale with modifier of fail success and then you know interesting consequences in between uh, and then the game master doesn't roll dice so on the face of this I, one of the things that, that stood out to me and and this is kind of where i'll step back and talk about like the old and the, and the new is it it seems that it sprung up one, obviously, from a game, Apocalypse World, which in reading uh, one of the earlier versions of Apocalypse World that's free to get online, or at least it's a reduced set that's free to get online, maybe no art, um, it makes a lot of sense because in introducing the genre of, you know, the apocalypse and the different characters and the way that they interact, you know, for that setting, it seems to flow right into it. Um, people have adapted it for other things, one being Dungeon World that seems to be popular, but it... it it strikes me as, I guess there's a couple of different categories that it is, 
it's a way that if you like a fantasy genre but maybe want either the rules to 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 stand a little bit in the background you know to maybe run it faster you know to focus a little more on the story um and and i don't know that it's specifically just the story but maybe in a transitional way from say a typical dungeon crawl and typical rolling and monsters and you know not knocking down so many monsters trying to avoid the uh you know the character death tpk getting the loot and getting out uh that's a that's probably not a fair and a simplification it's definitely an oversimplification but a shift to a more narrative style of play and it sounds like that this sets it up that for a game master, dungeon master, what you will, that it would allow this and and maybe even reduces some of the prep time, especially in comparison to even with Pathfinder and 5th edition and some of the adventures and modules, which uh, are heavy and not that they're not well constructed and don't have a wealth in fact i think that, that that's it's it's both a benefit and a little bit of a detractor in that they are fully fleshed out adventures that have so much in them in terms of plot hooks in terms of the overall story that can keep you involved for oh gosh a, a year but even in, in my case and as i mentioned before i've been kind of running a bit of in a modified tomb of Alli- annihilation excuse me for my son and we, we have been, <laughs> we, we've been bad about getting back to the table because it started as a, a little bit of a one-on-one campaign as we were RVing around. So it's definitely taken us a year plus, and that is with, as I said, modifications for skipping and not really even allowing, let's say, a traditional party to just do the hex crawling. So wheeling it back from this tangent before I lose too many of the students that are virtually connected the one student with multiple personalities to our lecture hall uh here in the soon-to-be defunct university i I think that that in some ways the system and then the genres and the games that have sprung up have have emphasized this narrative or story and 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 when i'm using story I'm, i'm not trying to use that in a divisive way in dividing story games between other games but in the way that it may lead it to be more immersive, you know, more interactive, you know, more narrative. And for, you know, new players, as I said, it, it I guess my, my assumption, it would have to be tested, is it seems this a more natural way of playing, is you give somebody, instead of a sheet of playbook, uh, it may be a little less intimidating if you're if you have a preconceived notion of, you know, this is a, like I said, you know, the, the old the old pun math finder or that it's math intensive or there's dice and you got to learn if you don't know all the, you know, the, the, the formula or your modifiers by heart, you will not be able to play very well. Uh, it's simple role. Um, it can lead to some interesting uh, things the GM to do with that and, and leads to perhaps some, some good opportunities from improvisation. Um, the other thing is, is veteran players, and I've been really interested in reading, you know, the blogs of folks that have been heavy into PBTA and, and podcasts as well, but not exclusively. They've come from similar backgrounds that I have, or they've come from, you know, what, what may have been called the older, the old school games, Dungeons and Dragons or certain editions, and, and like this for certain things. So I, I'm... This is not really a complete review because I said this is just from me reading and observing, but not playing, which is <laughs> not a very good review at all. And I need to play. I, I would say that the things that stand out to me, though, for the PBTA are I I would look to try to understand how well that system works in a, in a game and, and what the narrative is. And maybe in a genre that I'm not already playing games in, meaning... I've already got with the Dungeons and Dragons, Mathfinder, DCC, and and plenty of others, you know, heavy fantasy settings covered. And I would be interesting to see kind of how this plays in, in you know, the actual apocalypse world. Or uh, I know a lot of people have been talking about Monster of the Week, which is another interesting genre. And then the one that about the time that I was trying to figure out what the heck the PBTNA was that actually got me interested in it was Night Witches. And I can't remember how I stumbled on that, but that's a game that I've heard about years ago and didn't actually purchase yet because I think I was trying to figure out 
the right group to play it with or when maybe even my family slash friends were, were ready for it. But the setting really intrigued me about, you know, Russian women fighter pilots in World War II. And, and again, the game has kind of both the elements um, of the actual, you know, the combat, but also what they're doing on, I guess you'd say downtime, but, you know, for those of you, uh, you know, kind of military and have, have, have been in and, and definitely in and around combat, uh, it's it's not necessarily downtime that you'd think of as maybe in an RPG. It's it's kind of taking care of everything else, you know, the mission debriefs, the preps, uh, dealing with casualties that come up, um, and then you know introducing some of the relationship stresses. So uh, that was one that that I just I found the the kind of the historical setting fascinating, and you know reading about it and reading some of the you know the kind of the advance or the excerpts online. Um, is something that I really need to go back and maybe just purchase and, and try out. And also, it just, it, it seemed like it made sense to me, and again, as, as someone who hasn't played the system, but it's a great setting. It, you can make a at least a small campaign around it. But it's something where the world, you may not necessarily want a heavy rule system, or at least a rule system that's too complex to, to, to explain, run. So... Uh, for whatever reason, it just it just seemed to click that I think to me it made sense, and maybe the same with some of the other genres. Um, w- one of the other things that I do think is great is obviously the fact that the creators of Apocalypse Worlds have allowed people to take and run with it and use this powered by the Apocalypse tag or you know the the modified from the Apocalypse. It's it's just a, it's a, it's another great example of when we talked about kind of the open gaming licenses and you know the retro clones and everything else. If nothing else, um, I think that is a fantastic contribution to the hobby because putting this out there and saying, hey, this is a system that we've used. Take it, you know, hack it up, modify it, use it for all kinds of different settings has led to all these games, um, homebrew and others. So, uh, you know. It's something that to me is is a great aspect of the hobby, and uh, I obviously need to get myself into that. Um, not to go on too long, but similar to this in my mind, and I don't think they're they're similar. Somehow I keep conflating these things, even though I know they're not. But the other new system that I'm I'm I really I had been exposed to, and then didn't play and then again through definitely on Chase podcast roleplay rescue and some others just getting a little bit more interested in it and the other uh while i'm I'm thinking of it it's not a podcast but um uh twitch stream and before it may have been another platform it's archived on youtube but living for crits uh judge james and judge evie uh good shout out to those guys uh even though um they're heavy DCC. It's definitely not exclusive. It's all games, lots of different thoughts. And talking about this game system, which is the Cypher system, and some of the big games around it, Numenera, uh, and The Strange, which is a a bit older. These, These games and the system that Monty Cook has created, to me, meets a lot of the same... I guess, if you will, either goals or, or has a lot of the same criteria or characteristics that Powered by the Apocalypse system does, at least in my view. N- not necessarily, I guess, perhaps as clear as I, as I could be on this comparison, but I know it's something that my mind tends to mix them up or overlap them. But but stepping it back, the Cypher system to me in reading it and taking a look at I looked at the Numenera Quick Start and I've looked at some other things. And then I, I Monty Cook, at least I had recognized, because although um, I missed the, the D&D, you know, 3.5, I was I was coming at the end of kind of some of the, the Planescape developments, some of the other developments. So Monty Cook's name at least stood out and from some of his previous work uh, on Dungeons and Dragons and then hearing him on some, some podcasts and video streams. What the Cypher system does to me is, is in some of the ways that I talked about, like this new aspect of gaming, is it says, okay, we, what we really want to do is, is maybe take a different approach to character creation. So 
you know, for the Cypress system, obviously it's in some of these settings, uh, you, you know, obviously there's parallels to fantasy. Numenera is the, you know, far future that's so far in the future that it's, it's both fantasy and science fiction, which I think is a great concept because it says, you know, the things that are, that could have been developed in terms of technology uh, are, you know, the Arthur C. Clarke, um, you know, paraphrase, you know, it's, it's indis technology that's indistinguishable from magic, um, but also just things that you're not, you know, that far away. <laughs> it's hard to logically think about it. It's almost as if today when you when you talk about some of the, you know, developments with um, uh, kind of modern modern physics, you know, quantum gravity, theories of relativity. Um, suppose, supposedly when I studied engineering and had to take physics and had to work with these things, uh, it gave me a foundation of which to at least try to understand. But there are plenty of concepts in terms of modern science that, you know, could just as well be magic. Uh, same with biology and chemistry. So I like the idea of Numenero as setting so far in the future and having these artifacts that you find, you know, these ciphers. And that gets into the kind of the core of the cipher system. But... I think the concept that he starts with of developing your character and making it very simple. And the one cipher game that I have played, and I should step back because I, you know, said I wasn't familiar with it, but um, I am familiar with it from the sense that the cipher system is what's used, or at least a simplified cipher system, in No Thank You Evil. So, first little plug that I would make is that. Although I think I had a D&D &D starter set at about the same time, the fifth edition starter set at the same time, um, a few years ago with my son, I bought a copy of No Thank You Evil at one of the few, there may be more game stores, but the, our main friendly local game store in downtown Honolulu, Other Realms, had gone in there uh, and used to take him in there on occasion when we could steal away some time because there's both a comic book and a game store and uh, he liked to look through and get some comics had free comic day but I also had gone in there had heard about No Thank You Evil and picked it up um, and No Thank You Evil which is using a modified cipher system is a great introduction and in fact um, we played it a few times that my son played I think all the scenarios in the book and I know there's expansions um, but what that does is it kind of uses the same uh, mindset is you you have a descriptor basically you kind of choose you know nouns adjectives verbs for your character to describe them uh, from a list you know you select them and then depending on the rule book so no thank you evil is a little bit pared down you know they've got the different um you know they have the activities you know your descriptors and then also your your classes in that game and it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a mashup because it is for kids and it's a fantasy setting, but it tries to weave in different things that will help give their imagination a bit of a jump start. But I like the idea that they say, hey, to build a character, you get in the book and in the genre, you know, you have a, a set just like everything else, but basically you go through and say, this is my character, this is what he does, or he's a, you know, a blank some descriptor and then the uh you know the the class so like a warrior or i think i know we had like spy we probably had wizard in no thank you evil um you basically go through and you say that you know you give a description of your class and then you have some activity that they do you know what the, what they do you know a three-part sentence i guess and it's interesting to use that as a starting point not just with, with kids. With kids, it's fantastic because it basically just feeds right into everything else that, you know, kids are already playing and imagining in most of their games. But for an RPG, and especially, again, not knowing a system or if you're a veteran gamer, it gives you something different. And you build your character this way and go from there. And then in the Cypher system, obviously, uh, so uh, let's see, No Thank You, I think was um was a D6 for uh, Simplicity. But uh, Cypher is, is D20, and it's similar, uh, when, I, when I talk about the characteristics, excuse me, a PBTA, it is a system where the GM doesn't roll, per se. The, you know, the players roll based on the result, it's kind of like a success, failure, and then gradients in between. 
Um, and then this way it allows for, again, being fast. It allows for you to, you know, kind of keep the story moving. And then also gives the DM a chance to inject certain things. And there's also a separate category of GM intrusions. But, you know, inject certain things that like when you when you succeed or fail. And then based on your attributes. So the one thing I know in, in No Thank You Evil, and it's equivalent to other cipher system, it's kind of like your strength, like how tough you are, your intelligence, your speed. Um, and No Thank You Evil, they're called like fast and smart. And then there's awesome. You can like use things, use points to help people out. Is again, you use some of these talent, your, your skill pools, uh, as a resource to help your roles, um, which to me is a good concept because it kind of changes around the the idea that you have this fixed, you know, the big six from old D&D and other, and other clones, and you get modifiers, and then if you advance in level, depending on the system, you can change it a little bit, you get more experience. But I like the idea of the, of the pool, and this is also equivalent in DCC when you can spell burn or you use luck, as you, you know, to spell burn is you burn down statistics. You, you physically may get weaker, you may get a little, uh, you know, a little, I, I, I guess I'd say less smart, but you know, your intelligence or, you know, you, you may end up getting corrupted, getting, getting off on a, on a DCC tangent. But, you know, giving, giving players a choice of, hey, having these pools, spending them to do things or to improve their chances of success. Um, the ciphers, and in, in, I guess part of the name of the cipher system, are the artifacts, you know, these one-use artifacts that you can use, which I, th- I think are, are, are good, you know, presented in a way to, you know, for characters to help. And I, I like it because to me it's a much better take on the, what, what I would say, the you know, finding treasure, finding magic items, getting them, adding them to list and, and using is it, is it really helps, like, put something in place for the characters to use, you know, at one time and is a great technique of the story. The other aspect of this, the GM intrusion, is a way for kind of, uh, you know, it, it gives GMs a way to kind of, I don't want to say force the plot, but introduce different things like challenges to the players or different aspects. And it gives the player a choice. So um, in the full-blown, you know, you can gain an experience point or spend it and, you know, you to, to either accept or refuse the challenge. But to me, and this is where I see a difference between some of the older games and the newer games, is is it's it's more collaborative, not from the sense of that the players can do anything they want, but but you, to take the the you know the overall plot or, or narrative of the story and introduce these inflection points, and and for the G both for the GM and the party group, but on the GM side, again getting back to that more improvisational approach, it lets you know certain situations will resolve themselves or play out in ways that you may not have expected, or or depending on the group or the night or how they feel, and. It kind of makes it seem that even though, you know, you're, one, you're not necessarily railroading players as a GM into situations. And then two, the players are, are getting active roles, or at least individually, you know, in this is in this situation, getting a, a, a role or a choice in how the story plays out. And, you know, from a, if, if you want to call it a new way of thinking about stories, it's extremely interesting. Um so I, I really, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 we enjoyed No Thank You Evil. We passed it on and we bought a copy for my uh, niece, uh, who's first grade now. And I don't think they played it yet, but we gave it to them at Christmas. Um, one other thing that I had just remembered about No Thank You Evil is a saying they have a scenario book and, and additions we played through. But I think the last one that we ran, if I remember correctly, uh, my son ran us through that. And this was a couple years ago. So really before, I think at the time we had played a few sessions of Dungeons and Dragons, but he wanted to be, as he called it then, the reader, you know, the game master for No Thank You Evil and ran me through a, a scenario in the book and did a fantastic job, especially because there's a few, um, they're not difficult, but they have, you know, some little puzzles or little decision points for you to go through. But uh, yeah, it, it, it is a great system. Um, I think for my son, he was very quick, although he liked it, he was very quick to move on to uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, uh, albeit a little bit modified. Um, but this is one I definitely would recommend for kids, definitely for younger kids, you know, grade, I'm sorry, not grade, but, uh, you know, years 5 and up, or ages 5 and up, uh, definitely even younger. Um, plus, the set is 
pretty pretty sweet in that it's put together with little tokens and beautiful maps and, and character sheets. So uh, for, you know, Monty Cook games, they did a really, really nice job uh, in putting that together. And before I move off that, I, I really should shout out, I've been talking about Monty Cook games, but it's Shauna Germain, uh, who is a, uh, you know, partner at, at Monty Cook games. She was the lead designer in No Thank You Evil and, and championing that. And so, you know, as a way to get kids into into gaming, um, or and whether it gets them into long term gaming or not, I, I think it definitely will. Uh, it's it's a fantastic game to have for kids, and and definitely uh, far superior to some of the others. That although we had fun playing, like Hi Ho Cherio, and of course Candyland, maybe not so much Candyland. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. Just a fantastic game. And as I said, it is a modified or simpler version of the of the system that they use for Numenera and some of the other games. But just just the uh, just the care that went into both developing the the overall system and then adapting it and and putting this together uh, for kids made me uh, made me a fan. I already thought I was going to be. Uh, so definitely check that out if you are not familiar with that. And it made me want to get into things, namely Numenera, because. The setting of Numenera is fascinating to me, as I said, and then this new approach, I think it fits well. Uh, obviously, there's other genres you can use. So not to get this too long, but but to try to bring it back a little bit. Um, one thing I actually just discovered or maybe rediscovered um, a few weeks ago, I think I'd seen it before. There's a good blog, um, Simulacrum, OSR Simulacrum, and the author... And I wish I, of course, I had the name, but I don't have uh, <laughs> the name of the actual author. So I will put it in the show notes and I'll double back uh, to see if I can get the author for the credit. But I will cite this because uh, they have uh, a few posts, I think, historical look at the OSR in four parts. And this would be a good place to kind of summarize at least the way that I think about it. Again, not to draw distinct lines between old, new, and whatever, but in terms of the development, because one of the things that I thought about when we discussed this last week was the shift and and, and and moving back to you know some of the old school is that in looking at the development of, of Dungeons and Dragons historically and, and focusing on that and that's what they do in their post to great degree in the adventures and the changes between the editions is it does look from this perspective as an evolution from a war game approach, a fantasy war game, adding in the elements of role play and campaign, and then watching it develop over, let's say, late 70s and 80s with the adventure modules that were, you know, originally most seemed to be at least settings, definitely adventures and dungeon crawls, and some hooks, but a good amount of sandbox. You know, keep on the borderlands. You know, I, I, I'm sure people have played it numerous different ways, but I know when we first played it, I don't think we gave a second thought to even the title, Keep on the Borderlands, and the keep as more than just, that's the hub, you get stuff, you dump your stuff, and the Caves of Chaos is the adventure. <laughs> Plenty of stories can be conceived around it, but I know when we were younger and played it, it, it was more of a sandbox, dungeon crawl, let's go to this cave. Okay, let's go back, let's try this one again, let's get different characters, someone died or someone joined. Um, Isle of Dread is another great sandbox hex crawl. And there were a lot of these. And in the similar, I guess, a similar development pattern were the modules that were developed for the tournament play or primarily tournament play. So, you know, to challenge you. And although there was some story there, it was really developed more to see how good you were in terms of when we're talking about that skill, that player skill. So not to spoil too much, but on Simulacrum, they, they, go through this historical development and look at the lens and look at some of the shifts. And if I didn't mention this last time, this is going to be something that everybody will shake their head and familiar with, that the changes in the 80s, and I I remember them, I think I had been moving away from playing a lot of D&D. It was still actually playing Star Frontiers, come to think of it, Marvel superheroes. But when Ravenloft came out, and, you know, being heralded as one of the, and, and probably still holds up, you know, best best overall adventures now being remade in various iterations, but was more a, I'd say, story adventure. And again, 
not as a divisive or pejorative term story, but it's like, this is an adventure. This is, you know, this is the mystery. This is the, this is the overall story that the characters are going to play and try to solve. And definitely ways to tweak it and even a bit of a sandbox in Barovia. Dragonlance was the other one. Was a big fan of the novels, read the novels, didn't actually play through. I knew it was setting and knew it was an adventure, but for, again, for whatever reason, didn't get into it. Um, and looking back and now having seen some of the modules, definitely have a, have a mixed reaction because it does look like it's set up that it is more about the story and the characters even play through as the actual, or the players play through as the actual characters um, or use their own. But it's almost set up to go through what then was later recorded in the books. And I, I think, you know, there, there's obviously... The, 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 the uh, I guess the, <laughs> the binary way of looking at it that you either like that, but it's a prescribed story and that's what you do because you want to play that story or you hate it because it's railroady and you don't want to be forced into making those decisions. And I think the balance is somewhere in between because I think that Kryn would be a great world to play in. It'd be great to kind of go through that adventure, but obviously when you're playing it, you know, you, I wouldn't want that to be just reciting the, the book. Um, you know, or the adventure in the book. You know, you, you, you may want to play in the Lord of the Rings or the, the One Ring, but I don't know that I would want to play out the exact same path um, unless you're looking at it from, a, you know, the stages and a what-if or a somewhat simulationist approach. So I will include the link, as I said. It's interesting to monitor through that because that happens kind of in the first two parts that he looks at and then gets into kind of the modifications of the system as well and the skill system. But in some ways, that, that helps inform my thinking. And, and, you know, again, the way that I look at it and in playing in DCC games, which are, you know, they're old school, they're based on 3.5, it's a different system. Um, I, I find both elements. So I find both elements of kind of having it as a little bit of, a, you know, the narrative and the story, even as wacky as it is, um, and still finding some of the older elements of the, uh, I guess, you know, the, um, what I would say, the, 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 the danger level or the way that things interact, you know, some of the aspects that, you know, watching magic users, watching wizards cast spells, you know, and having a bit of a, you know, maybe more of a risk factor associated, the luck mechanic, you know, the mighty deeds. Uh, some of that harkens back to old school, even though these are, you know, maybe new thoughts or, or their modifications on thoughts and definitely uh, have been improvements. But I think, I think you can find bones. I guess for many games, it's just finding that balance, you know, that it's, it's hard to see that maybe it's shifted more to this, maybe in, 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 you know, more modern editions, there's more character customization, which probably is inevitable. So take a look at those blog posts if you're interested in this. I think if I stay on track, what my next episode will talk about is free Kriegspiel. And what I actually want to do is really focus on something that I'll include a link to as a, as a preview. But what one of the blogs that got me into this, and it's been only recently, um, has been the designers, and in this particular case over at, uh, you know, Jim at D66 Classless Cobalt, who's produced a few great games, uh, some, some of them free, some of them pay if you want, that are these... I guess either FKR or inspired by FKR uh, approaches, trying to, as he would say, play worlds, not systems. And this relates to some of the PBTA, some of the Cypher system, even some of the, the OSR in a way, you know, definitely in the BX rules, is that the rules should be, should be one simple, and he would go even a step further and say there should be very, you know, minimal or almost abstracted so that you can play the worlds. And it's something I'll get into because, as I said, I think this, this does definitely come down to the genre, the gaming group, your personal preference. But it's a great concept. And if for nothing more than to help you with prepping and running games and help you with looking at different things um, and for the creative juices. He ran a contest, not, uh, I should step back, not really a contest, a simple design challenge. Um, let's see, most of the beginning of April, just to have people produce like a quick 
with a genre, a couple of descriptions, and a small rule set on how to run them. And a lot of these are set up for fantastic one-shots, definitely can be used for longer. Um, and to me, if nothing else, it's a way to give your creativity a little bit of a kickstart. Pronto? Eh, no, mia madre ha detto di dirti che non ci sta. Hey, Jason here. I am not going to leave you a, a deluge of calls like I did last time. Just want to say I really enjoyed your latest podcast. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll get together soon. Unfortunately, I'm, through 10 May, I'm pretty booked due to, uh, like I mentioned, some things at work. But, yeah, I, I, I wish I had phrased that last call that you played a little differently. Just because somebody doesn't mean to be racist doesn't mean they can't be racist by any means. You know, that whole good intentions thing, right? That paves the way to go to somewhere. But I, I, I do think you, you need to look at the, like, just like you said in your podcast, you have to look at those creators through the lens of their times. And, you know, some of them were doing the best they could with the materials they had, and you, they didn't know what we know today. But, but I think you covered that pretty well. The other thing I would say is that, well, I'm going to leave you another call. The other thing I would say is that, you know, the, that's one the one thing, the hero, superhero thing in, in the old school primer that I always kind of chuckled at because, you know, in the early 80s and what, you know, when I started playing, you still had groups that did superhero, the superhero thing. That It's not like everybody that played, played that way, the old, the old school primer way, the Matt Finch way, right? There are plenty of people that buffed out their D&D party. We, there are plenty of AD&D first edition superhero parties out there with... You, you know, whether it's Monty Hall campaign, campaigns that had tons of loot and tons of magic items and were all buffed out or the way they changed the spell rules so they could spontaneously cast and do this and that and max hit points. And so there are plenty of people playing the style they play 5e. This, you know, arguably the superhero, not gritty. They played 1e that way too. So it's, you, you know, not, nothing's new under the sun, right? Anyhow, I said I'd keep this short, so I will look forward to coordinating a time talk with you in the future. Really enjoying the podcast and looking forward to your next one. Take care. Thanks, Jason. And I am in total agreement with your points. Definitely on looking back at the material and, and critiquing it and assessing it and moving forward with a more inclusive approach, both to game development, you know, design and development, and players at the table. And I'm also in agreement that we had plenty of games back in the BX days with buffed out uh, fighters and, you know, magic users that used spells that were definitely not rules as written to be more super heroic. <laughs> so that is a, yeah, that is a chuckle worthy uh, Zen moment or tenet of old school gaming because there were plenty of us that, that uh, were superhero in our approach to crawling through the dungeons. Hey, Brian. Daniel from Bandits Keep calling in. Um, catching up on your episodes now. Uh, listening to number six. And you're talking about kind of new people coming in. I agree with you. I mean, I don't want to put a label on it, but I think when somebody first starts playing a game, if they've never played a tabletop RPG, it makes sense just to tell them, and this is what I do, just tell me what your character wants to do. Don't worry about the rules too much. You know, I give them a basic idea. If I made a pre-gen for them, for instance, I might say... Well, your character is a warrior, so they're really good at fighting. They're really strong, right? So I'll tell them that. And then they just tell me what they want to do. And I've had some of the best sessions with people who have never played before, and they just kind of thought things out. I'm going to look under the bed for clues. I'm going to look behind the door. I'm going to, you know, search the books. They just say what their characters are doing, and then I figure out the rules. Daniel, it's great to hear from you, and I'm going to check out Bandit's Keep and put that link in the show notes. And I think you summarized it very well that beyond kind of labeling it or, or figuring out where it sits, you, your approach is one that I like and I'm trying to be better about is in, you know, either simplifying or trying to make sure that the rules don't get in the way of what either new players or any player wants to do. And again, emphasizing the action. And I've been trying to do this, and I know my son, when we played the really good DCC game a few weeks ago with another uh, judge, 
uh, it was it was a good eye opener for him because the judge was very good about pushing people to explain what they wanted to do, what they wanted to look at, and how they wanted to do it. So it gave uh, it gave him a chance to be a little bit more creative, for which he was rewarded, uh, thankfully because of the die rolls. But I do like that. So thank you very much. Hey Brian, it's Jay. Just wanted to call in and. First of all, answer your thing about cricket. Uh, um, no, unfortunately, not a fan of cricket. Um, yeah, I think I'd rather watch paint dry. Um, basically, for me, it's unfortunately associated with school. Um, I was not a terribly um, good uh, sort of bowler or catcher, so I was always thrown out to the um, offside far uh, furthest point on the field, wherein... In most cricket games, I could quite frankly um, spend the entire time literally reading a book on the grass and no one would give a crap. Um, yeah, bullied by sports people. So all sport was eternally ruined for me, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, but anyway, thank you for the thought. Uh, but no, no, cricket, no, sorry, not for me. Hey, Brian, thanks for your uh, episode talking a little bit about the need for diverse voices. I'm wholly with you on the subject of encouraging diversity. Um, Spock taught me that, I'll be honest. Uh, see how geeky I can be. Um, but I must have make a confession that uh, one of the reasons that I, I am uh, not necessarily one to even attempt to go there uh, is simply because I am, as a socially anxious person, incredibly afraid of the reaction of people if I try and speak in an arena from which, as a white male um, of a certain age, I will be perceived by many, I think, to be, um, you know, unable to speak. Um, you know, essentially, f I feel muzzled on, on the topic because um, I I've seen so many other people who try to get expressive view be ripped down, frankly. What I wanted to say was thank you, especially for sort of pointing me at a few uh, podcasts and, and other things that are from people from um, you know, diverse backgrounds, because, you know, as you pointed out rightly, um, it is possible to educate oneself. And at least if people are going to perceive you as being, you know, uh, a white male who knows nothing, uh, you don't have to live up to that expectation. And obviously, I, I try not to. Um, I teach about so many things uh, as, a, as a professional, and, and therefore know uh, a bit, if you like, but it's great. Yeah, I think it would be good to listen to those diverse voices. Of course, it's about making space in one's schedule to to listen um, and to sort of pay attention and, and prioritize it. So I just wanted to thank you for pinging that on my radar and giving me that to think about and chew over. Um, perhaps over time, it's a way of overcoming the anxiety I feel about you know, not really knowing what I'm talking about. Anyway, thanks, mate. Game on. Hey, Jay, thanks. I am in agreement with you. I have a certain amount of apprehension, even fear, uh, when discussing this or approaching it mainly because I recognize, as you said, I mean, in, in definitely in U.S. society, and, you know, if you look at, you look at me, I'm a, I am a white male, and I am in a position of privilege, you know, for all the small complaints, and yes, this is a, you know, small, small podcast among a circle of gaming friends, but I, I recognize it, and I see some of the consequences of it, now daily and over the last few years and and not to get i i don't want to get too much political but i guess to, to your points one of the things that i'm trying to do and 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 improve myself is speaking out where appropriate and what i mean by that is, is similar to what you had said is is trying to educate myself trying to open myself up to new voices trying to listen more and then not being apprehensive about calling things out or calling for things, not because I think that I know I have the answers or I think ways should be done or that it's even maybe not something that I have to do. I guess maybe speaking from where I am, something that I should help do, that I should be, that I should aid, that I should be an ally. And I, Again, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll try to maybe restrict this to just my life and, and definitely for gaming. So I think as you touched on, you know, from, from your, 
you know, your experience teaching and your expertise and your training. Yeah, I think you've you've got probably a good background in 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 both the experiences you've had and in thinking about how to handle these not these situations, that's the wrong way to put it. Maybe on how to approach this. So from my perspective, you know, I look at it just maybe the things I can do. And that's, as you mentioned, just try to learn more, try to listen to different voices, think back on my own experiences. Um, And definitely for my son, uh, he, you know, especially the area we're in and from his ethnic background, uh, you know, he's part of a more diverse world. And I want him to be able to understand how things are and not accept them do something about them and be comfortable enough to celebrate the things that he wants to celebrate. And I think for gaming that, that holds true. And I think that's any form of gatekeeping. So I, I think that, you know, what I want to try to do, which is the same thing that was done for me uh, in starting to get back out is, is be, be met with welcoming arms. You know, I know it's not all uh, (laughs) roses and birthday cakes, but to, leave open the door or the gate as you will and thinking back to earlier experiences not necessarily in gaming but you know through school and as we talked about the stigma is making sure that today both the the, you know the newer generations but perhaps the the older or more experienced generations who never got a chance to game or maybe were curious and never did it making sure they're welcome back with open arms and you know, given a chance to experience how much fun it can be, both to play and uh, to create. So that's probably uh, plenty of rambling, but thank you very much for the, the call. And I think that'll wrap us up for today in thinking about, I know we mentioned a few uh, of, the, of, the, of the good, uh, reliable anchor podcasts, kind of the mainstays, uh, you know, Jason's Nerd RPG Variety and also Roleplay Rescue. Uh, Bandit's Keep from Daniel is one I'm going to check out. If you're looking for something uh, new and interesting, I was going back through my feed and all the things that I have not been able to, to, to keep up with. Um, one that I've enjoyed from time to time and really need to catch up on from a little bit of a different perspective is uh, the Rollists podcast which is a bit of a look at the European, uh, mainly, I, I guess, mainly UK, London gaming scene, but I would say European, uh, based on kind of the uh, ancestry of, of Callum and how he approaches things, because I, and I'll get it wrong, sorry, mate, but I think he's originally from Belgium, but living in, uh, uh, living in London. And so it's, it's just neat to see how gaming groups, gaming topics, different things are approached over in, uh, in Europe and, well, and also in the uh, UK because I think he lives now up in uh, London and definitely has lots of guests on. So if you're looking for something a little bit different, you probably find the topics uh, very familiar and the games very familiar. The conversations are enlightening and it's kind of neat to get a view into uh, just again, like I said, a different, uh, different area of the world, maybe not so different, uh, but it's something to check out. So I'll put that link in the show notes and I will keep uh, looking for uh, some additional podcasts uh, to round out my already (laughs) overly burdened podcast feed. So that's it for this week. Again, hope everyone is doing well and staying safe and we'll talk next time. Cheers.